Let's just have a have a word of prayer. Pray for, pray for my voice. <coughs> Father, we thank you and praise you once more. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to come together, Lord. Lord, in this, this comfortable building, Father. We just thank you that we can come and, and open the word of God together. And we can engage with your word, Lord. We can discuss it openly, freely. And we just pray by your Holy Spirit tonight, Lord, once more, you would minister to us. Lord, change us, transform us, conform us to the image of Jesus. And help us to learn everything you want to teach us through the scriptures tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, so we have come to the end of, well, it's the final Bible study tonight of 2023. So you've got to listen to it now for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have you back in January. <laughs> um, so actually, we're really close. It's, it's been, what, a year, hasn't it, looking at Romans and just, just gently journeying through and uh, really just coming to some conclusions now. Still looking at the practical applications and the practical instruction for a lot of what Paul has taught us, all the doctrinal stuff he's taught us. Because obviously it's no good just, just giving you or filling us full of theology and doctrine and, and not having a, a practical outworking of that. So we're going to look at some really interesting stuff tonight. I think it's interesting anyway. Um, can anybody remember? Anybody, anybody tell me no. <laughs> the significance of the left armpit of the Antichrist? No. We haven't covered that subject yet. Right. Um, can anybody tell me or remind me of what was going on in the Church of Rome at the time Paul wrote the letter. Let me give me just an overview. What was the, the issue? What was the main issue? It's gone down well, has it? Whether the Jews who had been converted were not very happy that Gentiles uh, who had been come to the knowledge of the Lord were actually uh, free to do things that uh, according to Judaism they would not be so they were trying to actually put the Gentiles into the law again yeah we're going to look at that tonight we're going to look at this uh, but really just to just to add to what Michelle said the Jews remember in Rome the Jews were expelled from Rome in around AD 49 by Emperor Claudius and we know because of history, we know that it was because of a dispute about a certain Christos, referred to as Christos, which is very close to the Greek Christos, Christ. So it seems that there was a dispute amongst the Jewish community, and such was the, 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 the falling out and the severity of the dispute that the whole of the, the Jewish community were kicked out including Jewish believers in Jesus. And they were not allowed to go into Rome for, I can't remember how many years it was, but until that, that edict was rescinded by the following emperor, <coughs> allowed them to come back. 
Well, of course, the church in Rome consisted of Jews who had been converted to Jesus uh, to, to Christianity. And, and let me just let me just rephrase that: who had accepted Jesus as Messiah, right? Because I don't believe that Jews convert to Christianity as such. I'll explain the reason for that later on. But uh, Jews and Gentiles, Jewish believers and Gentiles, together in the church, as was the case in many churches, together in the church, and so with the Jewish, the Jewish group being kicked out of Rome, that left the Gentiles to look after the church. Much of the leadership was, it was all predominantly Gentile. And then of course when the Jews were allowed to come back to the church some years later, the church they came back to was a lot different to the church that they left. They left. A lot of the attitudes had changed. And then what happened was the Jews, the Jewish Christians coming back into Rome, coming back together with their brothers and sisters in Christ, were encountering some issues. We're going to talk about some of them tonight. The Apostle Paul dealt with some of it in Romans 9 through to 11, remember? And he dealt with this, this idea. Hello, Jean! Hello. <laughs> Hello. Not to embarrass you. It's Jean. So, so anyway, so they come back and then it, 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 it caught, there was division. There were divisions and court issues within the, the church that was causing division. And then Paul starts to address a lot of that. And remember that, that really difficult passage in Romans 9 through to 11. And he starts to talk about Israel. All Israel will be saved and things like that. He talks about predestination. Not all Israel are of Israel and so on. So Paul has to try and address some of these, these things, some of this thinking, this wrong thinking within the church. So that he can bring some kind of reconciliation between the two groups. There needs to be some unity in the church, but it means compromise. It means a change in mindset and some correction. And he's going to deal with that tonight as well in Romans chapter 14. So why am I I'm reiterating that? Because it's important to remember that background when you're coming into the text. Guys, remember, these weren't written in a vacuum. You know, these were specific letters that were written to specific people in specific places at a specific time with specific circumstances. So if we're going to be if we're going to be faithful and we're going to be responsible in interpreting the Bible, we have to try and understand the context first, the original context. What did it mean to its original recipients? And then when we understand that, we've done everything we can to understand that, then we can think about how the principles that we learn apply to our own time and our own situations. That's called contextualization. Alright? So we're interested in, in, in establishing historical context first. And doesn't it help when you know a bit about the background? Don't that just fill in some of the gaps? Realize the, the, the animosity and what have you, the, the, the divisions that were taking place between Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians. It, it, it just explains so much of what he wrote. So, so yes, Amen. Let's, with that in mind, let's read Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read the first 12 verses to start with. Okay, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. 
Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day over another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. But none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. For why do you judge your brother? Or why do you, why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Amen. That's Romans 14, verses 1 to 12. Wow. Lots of interesting stuff there. Lots of wisdom. Remember, this is divinely inspired wisdom. This is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul instructing a congregation on how to live in harmony. So basically, to go over, to again, just establish the, the background, the two main issues, right? Christians, number one, they're to stop judging one another. It was a big problem. It was a problem within that church. What one group was doing, the other group had a problem with. Okay? And so there was disharmony, there were people who were judging one another, and that obviously causing division and strife within the church. Verses 1 to 3. And then from verses 10 to 12, God alone has the right to judge his people. God alone has the right to judge his people. So there's two important principles, okay? So, <coughs> notice he describes one person or one group as weak in the faith. Okay, don't miss his words, he says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And then he goes on to explain. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Alright, so, is this Paul, has he got a problem with vegetarians? <laughs> offloading on vegetarians. Now obviously there was something more to it, right? There's something behind it. So, let's, look at, let's just pick this apart a little bit. So one person's faith does not allow him to eat meat or drink wine that is probably purchased in the marketplace. Okay? Which is important to understand. It is quite possible this was because of its connection with pagan sacrifice and libations. This is something that is foreign to us. We're, we don't go to the marketplace and worry about whether something's been sacrificed at an idol temple. Right? Because we, well, of course, there are temples to foreign gods and all sorts around. But 
in, 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 in general, we don't, we don't deal with idolatry and, and the way that the, the Greco-Roman world did, the Greco-Roman society, there was temples on every corner, you know, and then sacrifices were very much a part of those, those uh, um, meetings and what have you. Libations is just the pouring out of, of drink on the altars. They were offerings that were made. So when the when an animal has been involved in, in the sacrifice in the in the idol temple, some of them some of the, the meat was used in the sacrifice and the, the, the priests and so on would participate and then the rest of it could be sold in the marketplace, in the food market. So the risk is as you were walking around Rome or any of the cities in the Greco-Roman world, there's a good chance that the meat that you go to buy in the marketplace could have been part of a sacrifice in the idol temple. So that was an issue for some of them. So, so there, there were lots of Christians who they would abstain from eating the meat because they were concerned about whether it was being involved in the pagan sacrifices. Seems a valid reason, doesn't it? Okay. So for that reason, they wouldn't eat. They would eat only vegetables. <coughs> Notice, Paul describes these people as weak in the faith. And he's going to export, we'll understand more as we read through. And he's possibly referring to Jewish believers who still felt the need to observe Torah. Okay? Even though, that, that's what I'm saying, even though they were, they were believers in Yeshua, in Jesus, there were certain things within, within the, the, the Mosaic law, if you want, that they still felt compelled to follow. <coughs> Not because they didn't believe in Jesus, because they, but because they still believed that it, it, it distinguished them as Jewish followers of Jesus from other nations. Even till today, there's dispute amongst Jewish Messianic Jews about what they should and shouldn't do. There are what are called Torah observant Messianic Jews. Okay, and, and, and they have they have a real issue with, with some of the Messianic Jews who don't feel compelled to follow some, you know, so, so some feel they can still eat pork, some feel that they can't. That's an issue within Jew, even Messianic Jewish congregations. Some of them more strict. So they have their issue, even within Messianic Judaism, the church. The Jewish church, they still have issues like this. Anyway, notice he, he doesn't mince his words. He says they're weak in faith. If they're not, if they don't feel that they can eat, then they're weak in faith. That's what he says. It is not that they are more immature than the strong but that they do not recognize that their faith allows them to do certain things. They don't understand that, that and again, we're gonna, I'm not going to go into it now, but we're going to see some of the principles as we go through, you know, that the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you drink. You understand things like that. But in their conscience, they don't feel free to participate or to partake of any meat that could have been Offered could have been part of a sacrifice in an idol temple. No, no, I can't. And yet there were other brothers or sisters who come and say, Come on, don't worry about it. Get the steak on the go. Let's go. Don't matter. Don't matter. Right. He also talked about days, sacred days. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. 
He says each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So what do you think? I'm giving it, giving it away there. But what one day, that, one particular day that is very special? Sabbath. The Shabbat, the Sabbath. If you go to Israel today, the majority of congregations, Messianic congregations, they meet on the Saturday, on the Shabbat. So for them, that's their sacred day. Um, obviously for us Gentiles, we would say Sunday. And Sunday is the day of the resurrection. It doesn't mean that Sunday, I don't believe that Sunday is the new Sabbath. I don't believe that. I, I can't see any biblical uh, uh, foundation for that. That God has done away with the Saturday and now he's changing to a Sunday. I don't believe, I don't believe that's happening. Okay? But, but the fact is that they, some of them, the Jewish people, they, they, they worship on the Saturday. We worship on the Sunday. Okay. And this is the kind of thing that Paul's dealing with. He says it's just not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. That's what he's trying to say to you. One day, for, the, for a Jewish brother or sister, one day he seems more highly than another day. Yet, yet for us who are Gentile Christians, we may not esteem those days in the same way. Okay? It does, it's not a game changer, in other words. That's what he's saying. Let's just have a look at these. So, Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Maybe you could read it. Verse 1, 12, and Nice and loud. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Amen. Amen. Colossians. So that's what he's saying. Look, he says, those things are a shadow, or shadows, new moons and festivals and Sabbath. He actually says Sabbaths. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a very strict observant Jew in this chapter, he says even so all these things are a shadow of the real thing that the substance is Christ he says so don't let people judge you in that, that was obviously happening you know in the church of Colossae okay right but this is the important part each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind so what have, we, what have we seen so far? Yes, he does say that there are some of those, some of these brothers and sisters are weak in their faith. Okay, and I don't believe that he's, he's trying to shame them in any way. He's just saying that the rest of the congregation have to understand that some of these people, their conscience, they don't feel that they can do certain things. They feel that they should esteem certain days more highly than others, and, and festivals and so on. But he's saying, even if you don't agree, he says, each one, it needs, you need to be settled in your, your own heart and your own mind. Your own conscience needs to lead you in this. <coughs> so, okay. So then he talks about the strong. He's mentioned the weak. The strong, on the other hand, believe that their faith allows them to eat any type of meat and to drink wine. Many of these questions depend on backgrounds. 
Jewish believers were aware of the challenges of maintaining identity in a largely pagan world. For them, it's not just about, oh, they believed in Christ. They weren't doing what they were doing so they could, be, they could merit salvation. Okay, and even if you speak to a lot of the, the Jews today that, that don't eat pork or whatever, they know that it's not a salvation issue, but they still understand that they're, they're distinguished as we do. We still we believe in that God still distinguished Israel, don't we? We believe you've got a special task for Israel. Not that they're, they're more special than everybody else, but that God has separated them specifically for a specific task. He's got a future for them, a future plan for them, and so on. So it's, it's a question of their identity as Jews. And there's these challenges within this church, within the church of Rome, the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians. Paul has no problem with believers that wish to express their personal piety by following Torah. Okay, following certain uh, parts of Torah. So again, it's, 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 it's not... If, if the thinking was, I need to follow Torah to be saved... That's different. But if the thinking is, I need to follow Torah, or certain elements of Torah, I want to follow it to, to maintain my ethnic distinction, you know, as, as, as an Israelite, then that's different. That's different. I, I feel that I should keep the Sabbath, you know, I shouldn't eat pork and do certain things. Okay, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. If you're doing it for the right reasons, it's not a big deal. Did we win this Saturday? Did we win? Because they wouldn't work on that day. <coughs> on that day they would not work. Saturday, yeah. On the Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We did. And that's, again, but this is talking about Jewish believers within the church, don't forget. You know what I mean? But, but again, like you say, there are Jewish believers within the church who would, who would rest on the Sabbath. The, literally, the Saturday was their Sabbath. Whereas... Gentile believers in the Roman church wouldn't have a problem and they go off and do a day's work or whatever they wanted to do. Paul's saying don't make a big deal out of it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Alright? Um, he does take issue with these people judging those who do feel free to eat and drink, however. Okay. So, uh, let's just put it on here. Yeah. Yeah, let me just, just emphasize this at this point. Christians no longer need to follow the ritual requirements of the law, the Torah. We don't need to, to follow the ritual requirements. They've been fulfilled. Okay? We don't go to a temple anymore, do we? We don't need to bring sacrifices for sin and everything because our Savior was, he was, he was sacrificed once for all time. Bless the Lord. Praise God. So... So really, you know, it speaks for itself. We don't need to do that. Jewish Christians must not condemn Gentile Christians who ignore such requirements. Again, talking about the bigger picture. The Gentile Christian doesn't have a problem with going out to doing a day's work on, on a Saturday. The Jewish Christian says, no, it's the Sabbath and we need to say it out. Okay, so obviously you get an idea of what was happening within the church. The Gentile Christian was saying, oh, come on, you know, get a grip, we're not under the law anymore. Do you understand? Come on, be, be, you need to grow up. Your faith, oh, I can't, I don't think I, could, I feel comfortable eating meat from the marketplace because it could have been involved in, no, what are you talking about? Don't matter. You know, all, all, all food is sanctified with the giving of thanks to the New Testament teachers. 
but, but that their conscience didn't feel. Their faith wasn't strong in that, in that area. Do you understand what I mean? So what's happening is, 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 is they're judging one another. And those who are feeling strong are just flaunting their freedom and, and kind of looking down on those who are weak. And Paul says, we've got to get beyond that. We've got to find a way to, 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 to sort that out. <coughs> okay. So then he goes on to say, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So he's saying, instead of focusing on what your brother's doing or not doing all the time, and, and, and let me just say, that doesn't mean, where there's clearly sin that's going on, that needs to be addressed. Okay, but we're talking about disputable matters. Remember what he said in the beginning? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Doubtful things. Things that are not absolutely clear in the scriptures. Okay? One believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who is eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. That's what was going on from both sides. Why? Because he's saying. You're judging somebody, somebody else's su subject. You're acting as the master of someone else. And basically saying everybody, all of us, as Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. That's not a judgment of condemnation, folks. That, that, that needs to be distinguished between, uh, uh, from, from the, the, the final great white throne judgment at the end of time. Okay, That's a judgment of condemnation. We, but he does say that we will stand as believers. One day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our lives. You know, and our lives will be evaluated. The things we've done, or the things we haven't done, they will be evaluated. Okay, and it's all to do with rewards and so on. But he's saying, look, you're not in a position to judge that person or not. So you, you, you've got to, you've got to, actually we're going to go on to, to this in a minute, but you've got to think about how you can live to build up that person, not to scandalise them, but to demonstrate love towards them. Alright? Okay, so this is the law of, of, of liberty. Let's keep reading through the chapter. <coughs> so the second part of the chapter, verses 13 to the end. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, 
Let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offence. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever, it is, whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay. You can see he's applying this, this, this principle now, isn't he? In other words, what I would say is, we are free, we have a freedom in Christ. I love my freedom in Christ. However, there are boundaries. Even though we're free, he's actually applying some boundaries. Okay? <coughs> so, Paul now focuses on those who are considered strong in faith. He's speaking to them primarily. Paul affirms Christian liberty. He says, oh, I'm convinced that all things are pure. You know? Whatever is put before you, and we'll, we'll read this from another section in a minute, but whatever is put before you, give thanks and eat it. The only Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. <coughs> We'll see that he reiterates the same principle. One Corinthians ten, verse twenty-three. Listen to what he says here. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. You're looking. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil, why, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore... Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence, either to the Jews, or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Okay? So you've got exactly the same principle here. And he's saying, look, you ain't got to worry if somebody puts... If you get invited to dinner by a non-believer, and uh, suddenly they put, they put the meat before you, you, you haven't got to ask, oh my goodness me, you know, but does this come from the idol, from the temple, from the marketplace? It could have been, no, he says, don't need to do that, don't need to worry about that. Alright, because nothing is, is impure in and of itself. And then he says, 
<coughs> However, if the person says to you, this was presented in the temple of whatever Zeus or Jupiter or whatever, <coughs> down the road, he says, then don't eat it. Not because suddenly it's become, it's become inedible because it's impure. Not because of that, it's because of conscience sake. Now it's a little bit ambiguous what he says there, to follow, follow his train of thought. Because it's hard to identify who exactly that the position of the person is speaking about, the other person that said it to him. But it, what it could be saying is that if you say, knowing, knowing that, that, that it's been presented at the Temple of Idols, and they've told you that, and you say, oh, I'm just going to get stuck in, then that unbeliever can think, can think that it's acceptable. Do you understand? Idolatry is acceptable in it. Oh, it's not an issue then. I thought it was an issue for Christians, it's not really an issue for Christians. Do you understand what I mean? So if they can misread what you've just done, the way you've, 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 you've responded, okay? So again, basically just saying, everything you do, you've got to think about what it says to other people, how other people are, are, are reading into it. It's not like, I'll tell you for why, there's a lot of, oh well, well the main so-and-so thinks, you know, I'll do what I, I'm free in Christ, I'll do what I want to do, you know, stuff then. But Paul says no, that's not how we live. We've actually got to everything that we do before our brothers and sisters, and before the world actually, it's all about testimony. But before our brothers and sisters, we've got to try and think about what kind of effect it will have upon them, and in their thinking, in their conscience, in their faith. Okay? Really important. However, you notice, he doesn't compromise the <coughs> principles that, that, actually, there's nothing wrong with food. You know, food, food is, in, is not unclean or clean, you understand? He's saying that, that, but you've got to think that for somebody who deems something as unclean, then it's unclean for them. Their conscience, our conscience, has to guide us. Okay? So Paul affirms Christian liberties, liberty, but the boundaries are determined by love. Because that's how we act in love when we respect the conscience of our brother and sister, even though we might not agree with them. Even though we might feel that, you know, you know you're being silly, you know, your scruples, but, but, but love them. If it means coming down to their level, and you understand that. I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about over disputable things. But it's, it means something to them, it's important to them. The strong were flaunting their liberty before their weaker brothers and sisters, which could lead to harming them. And again, Paul, Paul hits home with this, doesn't he? He says, you know, you, you, we've got to determine not to put a stumbling block before our brother or our sister. So let's just say we are in that kind of environment and... And like your, your, your weaker brother or sister, you might be sitting there in the ancient world, obviously. Okay, you're sitting there, you know that's been bought in the marketplace, but your faith is strong, and so you're getting stuck into your to your picanha, to, to, your, to your, uh, your meat that you love. And like you took a weaker brother with you, and he's looking, and as soon as he heard that it was bought in the marketplace, he thinks. But he's seeing you, and you're getting stuck in. And then he starts to get stuck in, but he's getting stuck in, but his conscience is weighing heavy upon him. And he's eating, and it, it, the Bible says then he's sinning. 
because yeah. he, he's not, he doesn't feel the freedom yeah. to do that. He's doing it because you're doing it, because you feel free, but he doesn't feel free. So he's saying, so in that case, you should abstain, even though you feel free, abstain for his conscious sake. Got it. Is the one who's eating it, yes. not his friend, but what is it? Has he sinned? Because his conscience doesn't say he feels he's sinned. Yeah. Not in that way. He hasn't sinned because he's eating, because he feels free to do it, and that's fine. But I think he's sinning against his brother in that he's point of stumbling. Yeah. 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 Difficult, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again. When we, like I said, when we contextualise these principles, I mean, we're going to talk about that later in the discussion. But there are times when you didn't realise. You don't know what's going on in your conscience of all your brothers and sisters, do you? You know, sometimes you think, you know what I'm saying? So, so of course, there are those to factor in, those elements to factor in as well. Anyway, so, so I guess where you are aware that you have a weaker brother or sister who don't feel right with that Let, let's just uh, let's i've got to talk about this so so like i remember in brazil i was speaking on this principle and uh i remember saying about about alcoholic drinks okay now i know it's such a controversial issue within the church <coughs> right i know that some people feel that we should not touch any alcoholic drinks whatsoever Okay, and, and, and they feel that even the wine that Jesus drank and the disciples drank had absolutely no alcohol in it. And, okay, I, I, I beg to differ on that. Okay, but okay. Other people feel I don't have a problem. I have a drink of wine or something. You know, other people like to have a drink of beer. All right. So the idea being, in our modern context, if you're going out for a beer, all right. We're going out for us to socialise with, with some friends or whatever. If you're taking a brother with you that doesn't feel, you know they don't feel right about drinking, then you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't do it in front of your weaker brother. Okay? Basically. Oh, but I, I don't want to spoil me. No, but it's like, wait, wait a minute. You don't live for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got to think about what you, 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 your weaker brother where he's at and respect his conscience. Don't flaunt your liberty. That's what he's trying to say. Love overrides it. Okay? Also, Rob, I mean, this is one of the things when I was first saved that really stuck with me. If another brother does see you, you know, drinking, and they aren't able to just drink, have a drink, yes. you can encourage them to. To fall yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's always yeah. stuck with me. That was one of the first things. I was a teenager, so it was the end of sure. It's one of the first things that ever stuck with me. Never be a stumbling block to somebody else. I think it's so important. You're basically saying, well, you don't live to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to think about what the way you're conducting yourself in front of others. What are you? How is that affecting them? Especially those within the same faith, where they're at in their faith with the Lord. So, so it's easier just to look. I'm still going to kill you, but you're going to preserve somebody's conscience. 
we're going to, be, going to preserve somebody in their faith. Okay. So, uh, where are we? Yeah. We should use our liberty in service to others to build up the body. Build up the body. That's what he's saying. Verses <coughs> 19 and 20. So, know that the strong can cause harm to the weak by exercising their liberty to eat meat and drink wine in their presence. By encouraging them to partake in these things that, that they violate their consciences. We've just talked about that. We've just gone over that bit. Okay. Three more reasons not to flaunt Christian liberty. Number one, the strong do not act in love when they do it. Liberty is not as important as love. Love is paramount. Love is paramount. Though liberty is good, if it is misused and brings harm to others, it may be considered, considered as evil. He now says this in verse 16, doesn't it? Uh, I'm in the wrong book. <coughs> Just read verse 16. I'm on the field. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So, although you, it's good to be free, if you misuse it, it brings harm to others, it can be considered as evil. Okay, which kind of ties into the question. Believers should refrain from exercising liberty because of their, their, their paramount concern for the well-being of the church. And again, we might not identify much with some of these issues, but there are certainly, certainly issues today that divide us as Christians that we're going to talk about shortly. It says, do not destroy. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. It's not worth it. Give it a miss. Rather than destroy somebody, all things indeed are pure. No worries. You're right. You know, they are pure. He's, not, he's kind of taking that side of the argument, isn't he? Saying, you know, they are weak in faith. All things are pure. Yes, they might be, might be uh, exaggerating or, you know. In your, but even so, think about them. It is evil for the man who eats with offence. Or, or with his conscience seared because he's eating. Weak believers sin if they act against what their consciences say they can and cannot do. Weak believers sin if they act against what their consciences say they can and cannot do. And you know there's a lot of things that are not, it's not explicit. The instructions are not explicit. You can't do this, you shouldn't do that, don't do that. There are a lot of things that you have to, you have to listen to your conscience in life. Let your conscience guide you. And you know there are things you, you might have an issue with, but your brother doesn't. Even today. You know what I mean? But he says, let your conscience be the, be, the, be the guide. Even if you go and ask, well, what do you think about that? And they say, well, I have no problem, you know, or whatever. Even so, if, you're, if you don't feel convicted and convinced that what you're about to do is right, or, you know, then don't do it. Don't, do, don't go against your conscience. Christians must agree to disagree over issues that are disputable. Adjifari, I think we say. Those are the, 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 the matters that are not discussed specifically in the scriptures. The matters that you can fall out over and dispute. 
If a matter is not clearly prohibited in scripture, or by virtue of clear theological reasoning, it should not lead believers to break fellowship with one another. It should be an issue to, to cause divisions. But we make them so often the issues. I told you that many of the many of the, 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 the things that we fall out over are actually peripheral issues. They're on the periphery, they're not fundamental issues. And yet, we, we, we very often we make these peripheral, peripheral issues fundamental and essential issues. And very often, we, we treat some of the essential stuff as peripheral. <laughs> we get it completely the opposite way around. Anyway, so many of the issues that divide Christians today fall into this category. And Paul would be troubled to see the divisions. Paul would be troubled to see some of the divisions. You see, when we look back at the early church, we think, oh, we've got the early church. We've got to be like the early church. The early church was full of issues, full of problems. Paul writing letters, the apostles writing letters to sort stuff out and heresies that had crept into the church and divisions and factions and pride and arrogance and immorality and all these things. Oh, let's get back to the days of the early church. Really? Let's learn some of the lessons from the early church. You know what I'm saying? 